58. 58, we'll sing 1, 2, and 4. At this, we'll have our opening reading. 1, 2, and 4. How wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hide my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rims of pleasures I see. He hide my soul in the cleft of the rock, the shadows and dry thirsted hand. He hide my life in the depths of his love, and calves me there with his hands, and calves me there with his hands. How wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. He takes my burden away. He holds me up and I shout me boom. He giveth me strength as my day. He hide my soul in the cleft of a rock that shadows and dry thirsted hand. He hide my life in the depths of his love and calves me there with his hands and calves me there with his hands. When clothed in his brightness transported our rise to meet in the clouds of the sky, his perfect salvation, his wonderful love, has shallowed a millions on high. He highly my soul in a cleft of the rock that shadows and dry thirsted hand. He hides my life in the depths of his love and calls me there with his hands and calls me there with his hands. <clears throat> Tonight we're reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are for the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next, I'll be number 61. After this, we'll have an opening prayer. Number 61, let's sing one, two, and three, please. <clears throat> Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here is salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song.
Father, we want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to join together in fellowship uh, in song and uh, to receive the message from Brother Tom tonight. We want to especially uh, pray and be uh, mindful of those that are in the hospital and others that, for whether it be health reasons or uh, whatever the case may be, that they're unable to come with us or be here with us and join in fellowship. Uh, if they're in the hospital, especially, Lord, we want to say, please guide the uh, thoughts and the work of the healthcare workers uh, so that uh, we hope uh, that those that are not here tonight can eventually rejoin us in fellowship. And of course, as in all things, Father, uh, thy will be done. Uh, please be with Brother Tom tonight as he brings us the message. Uh, give him ready recollection and uh, we pray uh, that it has the impact that uh, you want it to have on all of us who are here, whether in person or uh, online. So, Father, again, thank you. Please be with us this following week as this country goes through another uh, transition. Uh, we pray for our government leaders uh, to, that they have the correct thoughts and uh, motivations in their mind and that uh, we just thank you for all the blessings that you give us each and everything we are thankful and uh, it's through Jesus Christ's name we pray and ask these things amen our invitation song tonight be number 562 562 at this Now, excuse me, before all this, we'll sing number 519. Let's stand and sing. Let's sing one, two, and three, please. One, two, and three. 
Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansion bright and blessed, he'll prepare us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing there will be. When we all sing Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim path, when clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all get to heaven, what a day I'm rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the souls of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing there will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Be seated, please. Thank you, Wes. Always enjoy that song, and it's just wonderful to to be encouraged and and sing about uh, that day where we'll be with the Lord and our eternal reward. We're doing a lesson series called Rethinking Grace, and um, I I guess God just put on my heart uh, that we need to do a, a series of lessons to talk about and enjoy the wonderful gift of grace, and it is truly a gift, nothing we've earned. Uh, We've looked several nights at Ephesians 2, 5 through 9. I just wanted to mention quickly, without reading the text again, that in particular, verse 5 and verse 9, um, Paul, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, reminds us that by grace you have been saved. Grace is one of those things that literally is a, a free gift from God, basically provided to us through the blood of Jesus, not anything that we've done our own. And that's what we say in the next slide. Paul reminds the church, this is not of your own doing. No matter how hard you work, no matter how dedicated you are, no matter how diligent you are in your church attendance, that's not going to get us to heaven. And so um, it's a simple concept, yet one difficult for us to get our heads around, that grace is truly a gift. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what I want to do tonight is just talk about, I'm going to continue to talk about the joy that we have in our own salvation. Uh, I'm not advocating that we somehow become overconfident and, and because of that we don't, we're not zealous in our works, that we've, we've grown uh, casual, um, that we've abused grace, but I, I want to talk about in, enjoying the benefits of um, the salvation in the Lord. Literally, the word for grace, it's a Greek word, it's charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And if you go back and research this, it has a couple of different directions it can go. 
Uh, charis can mean uh, a gift from God. For example, some of the gifts that he gives us, like uh, various roles of, of, of gifted Christian workers, whether it be knowledge or or wisdom, or discernment, or gifts of administration. Those particular gifts that he gave us could be an interpretation as a gift from God. But there's another word associated with, with cotters, and that is uh, joy. And I've always said that if you use the gifts God gives you because you want to honor him, one of the side benefits is we receive joy. And we're just, I know, where's Howard? Howard's in a meeting. But anyway, when, when we go to, to the singing, uh, I always come out of those singings uplifted, don't you? I mean, the, where's, Jim's not here tonight, but those regulars that go to the singing in the nursing homes or assisted living, I know that when I go and serve the Lord and I sing, I come out feeling lifted up and, and, and I feel better. It's just something I think it's a gift from God. It's that joy that he intends for us to have when we honor him, he gives us a spiritual joy. And so I think maybe this is where this idea of charis comes in. And, and I want you to hang on to this idea of joy. Can I really be joyful and excited knowing that I'm saved? One other thing that I was going to sh- uh, point out in, in talking about grace and uh, acknowledging uh, the grace in our lives People that tend to be more grace-filled, okay, people that talk openly about God's gift of grace, people that talk about the fact that their sins have been taken away and they acknowledge their shortcomings, but I'm thankful that God covered those sins and I'm so blessed to be loved by God. When we have this very transparent um, approach toward our own sin and God's covering it, uh, we tend to be a happier people. That makes sense. I have found that grace-filled people uh, are generally more joyful. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I, I've been in the church a long time. I went to church before I was born, right? My dad's a preacher. I didn't get a, ch- I didn't get a choice, right? I went to church my whole life. But I have found consistently in my years that I've been on this earth that you're your grace-filled people that will openly acknowledge their sin, but in that same breath say, and I thank God that he loves me anyway, even despite my own shortcomings. What a wonderful, blessed God we serve. They're more fun to be around, quite honestly. When you compare that to someone who, um, most congregations will have one, right? If you've served in church leadership, you know what I'm talking about. They're the one that kind of sits like this, and they're watching others. It's like, boom, gotcha, gotcha, you know, and they'll quickly point out the shortcomings of others, right? And they just feel like they're the designated, I don't know, I better be careful what I say, but congregations have them, okay? They're the ones that are, that are quick to point out faults of others, and, and they don't generally talk about their own shortcomings. They'd much rather talk about yours. You know what I'm saying? They're just not fun people to be around. There's just a lot of negative energy. Now, later on, toward the end of the lesson, I know what you're th- maybe thinking. We have to identify people that 
sin and we have to point out shortcomings. That's part of what we do in the church. Yes, it is, and we'll talk about that. But um, I, I just think let us in our hearts try to be people that are positive, grace-filled people who quickly acknowledge our own shortcomings rather than make it our mission to point out others. That makes sense, sort of like the you know, the, the log in your own eye and the speck in your brother's eye. Let's, let's just acknowledge that we have our own logs that we're dealing with. Uh, we have our own issues that, we, that we're struggling with. And, and so let's focus on why we're blessed to have grace from God as we continue to work on our problems and not make it our life's mission to point out other people's problems. In John 10, 10, if you'll open up in your, in your Bible to John chapter 10, I, I just thought of this passage where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And in the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, he says, uh, he who, does, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. In other words, these are false teachers. People that come in and agitate, they stir. The sheep know the shepherd. I, y- y'all aren't... Cheap people, I get that. But what Jesus is saying is he's talking to, to a, a group of people, a community, who are very, very familiar with sheep and shepherds. And all of these people are listening to Jesus, and they're saying, yep, the sheep know the shepherd. The shepherd's voice is calming to the sheep. Uh, he's shown love and concern. They have a very intimate relationship. And so when the shepherd comes in, the sheep really respond well to that shepherd. But then there's another person who comes. Uh, He's a thief and a robber. The sheep are agitated. Uh, They don't like him. He who enters in the door uh, or by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And literally, uh, as you go down through the text, you see Jesus says that not only am I the shepherd, but I am the door. You see, the, the, the keeper of the sheep would often lay down across the entrance and be the physical door himself. If a sheep wanted to get out, he had to step over the shepherd. And so the shepherd's like, Sam, uh-uh, I see you're trying to get out. Get back in there. He's like, okay. There was that intimate relationship, and he is literally the door. However, he says in verse 10, if you drop down, uh, he, he kind of goes back and forth between the legitimate shepherd and, and the people who are not legitimate And then he says, I'm the door of the sheep, verse 7. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. But verse 10, he talks about a thief. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, I came, he says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So I think that what we have to think about is... um, in the church, there are some people who maybe mean well but are actually harming the sheep. Uh, they, they maybe don't understand it. And so these people might have good intentions, but they might be uh, people that, that are more critical and destructive and not building up the body. And so we've got to be careful that, that we've identified people who maybe are hurting the congregation by being overly critical or maybe, let's say, legalistic. And so tonight's lesson, really, I want to just focus on this idea of, of a grace thief, somebody who steals, somebody, you know, we, we feel the love and the grace and the comfort of our, of our Father, we acknowledge sin, we confess sin to one another, but then you've got people who want to just steal that grace away, 
and, and hurt the church. And so don't ask me why my brain kind of works in funny ways, but I, I got to thinking about Dr. Seuss in my next slide. In the, in the book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, most of y'all have probably read Dr. Seuss' books, one of my favorites growing up, you know, my first reading. But uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it was such a popular book that they've had some movies where they remade it. Uh, the, you may remember Jim Carrey and his character of the Grinch. And what they talked about is the Grinch, Whoville, down in the valley, knew that the Grinch lived up in the mountain, but he had, a, he had a tiny, cold heart, and he hated Christmas. And so it was his mission in life, along with his dog, Max, to steal Christmas, right? He was going to shut it down. And then there was a little, was it little Sally? Wasn't that her name? No, I can't remember. Anyway, thank you. Yeah, y'all know who it is, right? She had a big heart. And she even cared about the Grinch, right? And so as the movie goes on, she, um, she sort of made this connection with the Grinch, and, and he started, his little bitty tiny cold heart started to warm up. But he tried to steal Christmas. And so it's a, it's a neat story. It came out in 1957 originally in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I just thought, you know, what do you do when you got a, a Grinch at church and they're trying to steal grace? <laughs> You know, does the congregation have those kind of people? Unfortunately, yes, sometimes there are grace thieves. So don't let someone steal the joy of your grace away from you. And I do believe that the devil on occasions will attack us and plant seeds of doubt in our own minds. You don't deserve grace. You're not good enough. You're a bad person. You have these kind of thoughts, you know, I... And by the way, one of the names for Satan is accuser. Did you know that? The accuser. I believe that on Judgment Day, when, when God is making decisions about our eternal destiny, I think Satan is going to be over there pointing and saying, Lord, now, I have, I have demons that have been assigned to this person, and they did this and this and this and this, and they don't deserve heaven. That's just the kind of person Satan is. He's a grace stealer. Uh, and so, so how can you recognize a grace thief? We come, sometimes call those uh, a legalist, the ones that revel and enjoy pointing out the faults of others. They don't want there to be any joy or happiness. It's all about condemnation and doing it by the book and just strictly a legalist. Here's a couple of thoughts as we get into our lesson tonight. Uh, grace thieves a legalist, if you will, they have trouble forgiving others when they mess up. A grace thief or a legalist, uh, they, they tend to focus on their own accomplishments and what they've done and, and tend to want to put down others because of their own self-righteousness. Does that make sense? And, and so in my, in my experiences, we, we have to be careful and be gracious in dealing with these individuals but not let them throw a wet blanket over our joy and our grace. So, again, be, be careful when you deal with a grace thief because a lot of times they're just they're not happy people. I want to turn to a parable in Luke 15. Actually, there's three parables we're going to talk about in Luke 15. This will be our main text for tonight. And the important thing 
in Luke 15 is not so much the three parables, while they're very important. What's really critical in Luke 15 is what prompted the three stories. I don't know if you've ever discussed this or talked about it. Why did Jesus tell these three stories back to back? It's what happened in the beginning of Luke 15. So let's see the context. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Stop. Tax collectors and sinners. Did the religious leaders of Jesus' day like tax collectors and sinners? They hated them. Any Jew hated tax collectors and sinners. But in particular, the religious leaders detested them because they felt self-righteous, right? They were keepers of the law. It says in verse 2, the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, you understand the dynamic? This is so important. Jesus spends time with sinners and shows a spirit of grace and love toward them. But the religious leaders have already written them off and condemned them, and they're condemning Jesus because he has the audacity to spend time with these kinds of people. And so based on this event, he tells the story. I want to first drop down to the third story, um, one that's familiar to all of us in verse 11, and that is the prodigal son. I'm not going to go through the whole story of the prodigal son, which, by the way, when you come back Wednesday night, we're going to be doing the prodigal son parable in our parable series. But I want to focus not so much on the story of the prodigal son. I'm sure you know it well. But I want to focus on the brother, the older brother, who often gets neglected in this story. And he's one of the main characters. And we need to learn from the older brother and the prodigal son. So let me ask a quick question, rhetorical. When the prodigal came back in his brokenness and humility, was the older brother gracious in receiving him? Was he happy to see him? Did he want to have a party? No. Why not? You messed up big time, and I'm so angry at you. Look what you did to my dad. Look what you did to me. You're an embarrassment of this. You don't even deserve to be on this farm. You don't even deserve to be part of this family. If it were up to me, I'd kick you out right now. But my dad, don't ask me why, my dad is killing the fatted calf and providing a ring for you and the robe of the honored guest. Why, oh why, is he doing this? Makes no sense to me. Does that sound sort of like a a grace killer to you? He's so angry at his dad. Well, let's just read the story, verse 25 of Luke 15. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, so the older brother was so happy. Is that what it says? 
Nope. He was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. All of a sudden it turns into me, 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 right? Look what I've done. I've been so faithful. I've been so obedient. I've been the good son. I haven't dishonored you, Dad. Look at me. I deserve to be respected. That's really what he's saying. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Here's the fatted calf for this fool. And I didn't get a goat. Thanks so much. He's mad. Can you see him? That indignation. I kind of sympathize with him. I understand. But why is he so angry? When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead, is alive. He was lost. He's found. You see, what Jesus is trying to say This father is like the heavenly father. And when someone is wayward and lost and they've made mistakes, let us be grace-filled. Let us be joyful when someone who's been sinning repents. Let us love them unconditionally and be kind to them. Yes, this young man was foolish and he wasted his brother's inheritance. He insulted his father. We know all that. We get it. But let us not be like the older brother who lacked grace. Oh, church, if you could just get that one point tonight, you've got the lesson. That's it. If you could just be like the Father, full of grace and mercy and love. Don't focus on your own self-righteousness. Don't justify yourself and say, look at all the things I've done. How can you love the sinner? How can you show mercy toward him? He doesn't deserve it. And you see, if you go back to the beginning of the, of the chapter, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. Sound like the prodigal? Yeah, they were sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Sound like the older brother? Yep. Now we get it. Now we make the connection. If you're, if you're focusing on your self-righteousness and you think you're somehow superior in a religious standing with God, you have the right to judge and look down upon the sinner and not show grace. Wrong. And that's why Jesus told three parables back to back in Luke 15. I love this story, and it's so touching, and I'm looking forward to studying it with you on Wednesday night. I hope you'll come back for our, our parable lesson. But let's, let's jump up to uh, verse 6, where he tells his first parable. This is the parable of the lost sheep. He gets down to verse 6, when the man finds this one sheep. He's, he's left 
the 90 and 9 and went after the one lost sheep, right? 99 good sheep, one sheep that strays away. It says in verse 6, when he has come home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Church, I think that we need to be in the rejoicing business when sinners come to Stroudsville and have mercy on us if we stand back in judgment as legalists and point fingers and say they don't deserve to be here. Why are they here? I'm not going to rejoice over that person. That is not the spirit of a grace-filled father. And so let us rejoice when sinners come through our doors. And let us embrace them and love them. Don't embrace the sin. Remember that this brother in the parable of the prodigal son, when he came back, he came back as a repentant young man who was humble, acknowledging his sin. And the father showed great mercy. Grace thieves are in the church, but they do damage to the church. God is not the spirit of the Father. Let's drop now to the last parable, the lost coin. That begins in verse 8. This is the second parable. And remember, he's saying this in front of these religious elites, those who feel that they have a right to look down in judgment. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, in all three parables, when that which is lost is found, there is much rejoicing. The legalist folds his arms and goes, hmm, what are they doing here? But the father says, come, come, let us rejoice. Even angels are rejoicing. And so let's be careful. Let us be careful. Mark 7, 1 through 9 is another passage I wanted to point out tonight. Grace thieves justify their own behavior. They put down others, accusing them of violating rules. And again, we see the religious experts in the days of Christ. Uh, Let's read Mark 7, 1 through 9. We're running out of time, but just very quickly, this is another example of what I call grace thieves. Now the Pharisees gathered to him with some of their scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And I love this parenthesis in verse 3. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. So this is a man-made rule. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining coaches. 
The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, that is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines and commandments of men. They were quick to point out the faults of others and judge them according to man-made rules rather than showing mercy and love and most importantly acknowledging that this man walking was the Messiah. Later, their hearts were so hard, they accused the same man as he did miracles of doing it by the power of the devil, the unpardonable sin, the grieving of the Holy Spirit. As we close tonight, I mentioned that I wanted to stress that being lovers of grace does not somehow justify sin in the church. And so I want to close tonight by talking about our duty. Sometimes we are required to instruct those gently who are involved in sin. We can be gentle, we can be grace-filled, and we admonish. So let's talk about that. You have someone who comes, you want to be grace-filled, you want to be loving, but at the same time we're told in Galatians 6 that we need to gently instruct them. Let's see what Paul says to the church at Galatia. Brothers, verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, gen- in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if he, anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But eat, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So basically, this idea as we close our lesson tonight is that if there's someone in the church and we see them trapped in a sin, let's not fold our arms or point our fingers and go, you sinner, you deserve to be condemned. And somehow look down on them and justify ourselves and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not like you. No, what we're told is that we should restore this brother in a spirit of gentleness. When it says... Keep watch, lest you too be tempted. What that means is we don't want to somehow stand back and say, See how righteous and good I am? You've sinned. That just makes me look better. Wrong attitude. Wrong attitude. If we're too busy acknowledging the sin in our life and being thankful for the grace God affords us, we're not going to have time to condemn and judge those around us. But when they do sin, go to them in a spirit of gentleness and be meek. I think one of the best approaches is to go to that brother or sister and say, now look, I want you to know that I acknowledge I have problems. I am a sinner, and I am not perfect. However, (laughs) however, I have observed this in your life, and if you'll allow me, I want to very humbly point out this could be a problem. It's a violation of Scripture. And so can you and I pray about this together? What can I do to help you and assist you? I've got lots of problems of my own. I'm working on issues, but I want to help you because I love you and I care about you. And I've noticed this path you're going down. It's concerning, and it could hurt your soul. Be very gentle and, and humble in our approach as we uh, encourage someone and reprimand them. And that's what we're told to do in Galatians 6. So we need to confront sin when it occurs. We need to do it in a gentle spirit. 
But let us at all times acknowledge the grace God has given us. I hope this lesson has somehow touched your heart, given you something to think about. And uh, if you know someone who's, who's maybe a, um, a grace thief, just pray for them, help them. Uh, pray that maybe they can, can understand God's great grace and the love that he affords us. And remember the, the beautiful spirit of the Father in the prodigal son and how he showed grace and love toward his son who was foolish yet repentant. The lesson is yours tonight. If we can help you in any way, we ask you to come and respond. We'll be glad to pray for you or help you. Um, And I hope this lesson has somehow touched your heart or given you something to think about. Um, Thank God for grace. I'm so glad that he loves me despite myself. And uh, I'm a work in progress. Let's stand and sing together. And if you need to respond, come. Cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, leave with him your care, and begin life anew. take the Lord's Supper today will be available back in room one, straight back. Our closing song tonight will be number four. Number four. <clears throat> we'll sing one and five. At this way, we're closing prayer. <clears throat> one and four. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thine love, for Jesus 
Jesus who's died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, time to glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, time to glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Heavenly child with thy love. May so be Father, we want to thank you again for the day you've given us, the privilege it is to be able to come here and start you and worship you, Father. We pray that everything is been in accordance with your will, and all praise, honor, and glory is gone to your name today, Father. Father, there are many among us that have relatives that are on our friends that are holding our hearts and minds. We continue to pray for the ones that are out there that are grieving or going through rehab, physical problems. Father, we know that you, you know their, their names. We also know that you know how to provide for them better than we even know how to ask. Father, we ask that you give us strength as we go into this work week, that we will show more grace and mercy, that we will have a loving heart toward our fellow humans, our fellow man. And Father, we keep to want to keep praying for the upcoming election. Father, we pray that the ones that are elected will look to you for the guidance they need, Father, that we will once again be able to truly say, in God we trust as a nation. Father, we ask that we always look to you for the guidance and wisdom we need for everyday life, for we know that all we have to do is ask, Father, and pray for you, pray for the uh, guidance that you give us. But most of all, Father, we thank you for your son and the fact that he was willing to come here and give his life for us. And it's through his name we pray. Amen.